Hello and welcome once again to On Mike. I'm Jordan Rich. Got a twofer for you today. Both guests are in the entertainment business. Both are dynamic, creative individuals, highly skilled, very adept at their crafts. In a short while, you'll hear from the ringmaster of the Big Apple Circus, Stephanie Monsieur. But first, a chat with WWE professional wrestler and stand-up comedian Dolph Ziggler. After a prolific career in amateur wrestling where he established several school records for Kent State, he signed with WWE and has had a long and fruitful career, winning titles and changing characters as they do in pro wrestling from time to time. I actually always liked him better as a good guy. He recently did a stand-up comedy tour in my area. My wife and I went to see him. Uh, Confession, my brilliant, beautiful wife is a huge WWE wrestling fan. In any event, Dolph was terrific. His material and comedic timing were spot on, as smooth as any of his patented dropkicks. I spoke with him by phone recently while he was in a busy airport and got his take on wrestling and comedy. First of all, the comedy thing, you took a little time off from WWE to do this, so obviously it's very serious to you. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not someone who sits at home, so even when I didn't take any time off, for the last couple of years off and on, I've been doing shows here and there, and Anytime I could get one, uh, I would make it work, you know, in between the weekends, in between my WWE schedule. Uh, but, yeah, the demand, just based on the grassroots movement and fans and social media interaction and just word of mouth, uh, has made the show so great. And every time I announced one, some other club would go, we've heard great things, let's do another one. And we put so many shows together that uh, I, I, for about 14 years in a row, I had a total of about 12 days off of work. So I needed a couple <laughs> days off anyway, and it timed out to work great you know i've been very lucky no injuries no anything and just but i said hey I, I gotta go away for a little bit just so it's important you know if, if i come back so well, the best was like we, we timed all these shows yeah more and more to go right down into that time off work so it just kept adding on and we made it about a 15 city tour it's pretty great and keep adding more every day that's exciting and of course being on tour is nothing new when you're in the wwe as a wrestler as a pro wrestler entertainer you're on the road non-stop schedule yeah, for years, um, uh, you know, right now we did a brand split about two years ago and we switched it back about a year and a half ago. We switched it to four days a week or so. But for about three and a half consecutive years, I did Friday through Tuesday. We'd get back to the West Coast Wednesday late morning and then, uh, sometimes had a Thursday night red eye out. So I measured my time in hours instead of days at home. So I also don't like sitting at home. So I was taking advantage of that working every night. You know, you work harder, you work more, you get paid more, you get into better positions on the card. So I'm so used to that site that I just constantly had a suitcase sitting uh, next to my door, and I just threw my, I'd come back in Wednesday morning, drop all my laundry and clean it, put it right back in the suitcase, and then take off a day and a half later. You've had a stellar career in terms of character development, championship belts, all kinds of things. Don't you hold some records at Kent State and elsewhere? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I believe I, I graduated uh, high school from St. Edward, in, uh, which is in Lakewood, uh, outside of Cleveland, Ohio, which is pretty awesome wrestling state and city and team and i happened to be on a team that uh two times in the four years i was there for high school were national champions not just state champions national champions so i had a lot of great competition in that wrestling room i ended up uh breaking the record for pins back then i don't know if it still stands i really have no idea but uh, i went on to kent state where I, I walked on because i was you know in the middle of all the weight classes and i ended up doing better in college than i did in high school because I finished uh, fifth in the state in Ohio, which is pretty tough, but it's okay. And you're a middleweight, 
and you're not a huge recruit, you know, whether you're smaller or bigger, those always work out. I was right in the middle. So I walked down at Kent State and then eventually was beating out the senior starter. And I ended up, when I graduated, I broke the record for most wins. I'm pretty sure it's been broken again because we've had a national champion, but yeah, a pretty good run, maybe a 15-year run of being on top. So that's a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> now, Dolph, it, facing a 350-pound monster in the ring is pretty tough. Is comedy tougher? And they all say dying is easy. Comedy is tough. Why do you see that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's kind of true, but also a, a big thing was, yeah, my first ever match that I ever had. I was scared to death and was waiting to, like, tag in on the rope going, don't fall down. You know, my hands were sweating. Like, get in there. Don't fall down. Do your thing. And then it cuts to, uh, you know, several years later, and I'm in front of 75,000 people at a WrestleMania laughing in the ring, knowing that I'm going to crush it. <laughs> and then two weeks after that, I'm in the back room in Silver Lake, California, the back room of a coffee shop with 15 people in the crowd looking at their phones, not even caring. And I'm walking up to the microphone, shaking, going, okay, just say the first word, just say the first word, don't mess up. So it's the same level of both the excitement there, it's live, there's that improv effect, it's uh, that thrill that you always want to live for, and I still have it wrestling, but uh, it's nice to start over with this and put that same dedication to it. I'm just curious, when fans come to see you, wrestling fans come to see you doing comedy, are they expecting uh, the character of Dolph Ziegler, whoever that is at this particular point in the wrestling schedule? I mean, is that something that quickly is taken care of when you take to the stage and begin your act or do some people say where's the real Dolph Ziegler <laughs> I don't yeah, I don't know where the real Dolph Ziegler is but uh no I, a lot of people come and where the half the time I would say half the crowd if, if not more are wrestling fans and they're there where whether they follow me on uh on Twitter on social media or watch me on television and with social media and Twitter they get to know you know get a sense of Dolph Ziegler plus Nick Nemeth uh you know a little bit both where I kind of get lost in both characters but also, if you're not a wrestling fan, whether you're, uh, I've met a couple people, several people online where they're comedy fans and they're coming to the show or they, they know me from just Twitter or just things I've said or interviews or TV shows I've done and, or a roast battle on Comedy Central. And they're like, oh, let's go check it out. Mm. Uh, and my favorite line is, well, I just came here to get this action figure signed. But it turns out you, <laughs> you were actually funny. And I go, you don't have to say actually. Backhanded it, compliments. Fun. Yeah, don't you love yeah. that? Wow. Surprise, I was just here to get some stuff signed. Yeah, thanks. You must have some idols, in, not only in wrestling you do, of course, but in comedy. Who are some of the stand-up models that you like to take a look at and say, boy, I'd love to do what that guy or that gal does? Just like wrestling, I was a, like a student uh, at a very young age that would watch and see why certain people would say things and get a laugh and certain people wouldn't. Like, uh, even now, one-liners aren't what they used to be like from the 60s and 80s with like Rodney Dangerfield. But you could see Rodney Dangerfield say a one-liner that people know was kind of corny or a street joke, and he would make it his own and have people falling over laughing at, you know, not working blue, totally just telling regular one-line jokes. Right. And someone else who's sharp and polished that you know is great could say it and no response. So it's all about finding the different responses and your character and what works for you. And I, I really looked up to Rodney Dangerfield a lot. But also, I mean, everybody says, you know, Carl and Richard Pryor, uh, things like that. I, I'm a big uh, of the younger guys. Uh, Gary Goldman, I like. Uh, Nick Swartzen, uh, Brian Regan is one of the funniest oh. guys. Bill Bill Burr, those two are my favorite. I listen to their same albums mm -hmm. over and over, and it's just so fun to go. Oh, that's why this works. That's why I listen to this all the time. And it's going to take me about five thousand more reps to figure <laughs> out my voice. 
but I'm on, you know, rep number 11. So we're yeah. getting there, you know. Yeah. So. And I was going to say, too, the, you mentioned a couple of guys from Boston. Boston seems to be a birthing spot for great comics, a lot of stand-ups. Do you notice different audience reaction in different parts of the country now? Do you notice that? Oh, absolutely. And it, uh, it, what's great is you think you know some stuff, just like with WWE, like, oh, we're going to New York. They're going to boo the good guys and cheer the bad guys, you know, and then it's not always like that. And you're like, ooh, here's where the improv comes into play. Here's where being a ring general comes into play. And even though I'm a little bit of an amateur when it comes to doing that, you know, uh, just holding a microphone, I live for it. I come out there, I say one or two lines right away, and I feel them out. And I go, mm. oh, this is all wrestling guys. Or, oh, this isn't a wrestling crowd. Great. I get to explain <laughs> my crazy job to people and then get into my stories about going to Chipotle or being on Tinder. And so right. it's not just for wrestling fans. It's for everybody who wants to laugh, and whether you know me or not. But it's interesting. You will get out there on a wrestling show on Raw or SmackDown or any of these, and you'll be in front of 20,000 people with a mic, with a character development that people know. And you're just very natural. And most of the guys and gals are extremely good actors and good performers. I would think that there'd be more performers in other areas beyond wrestling. I mean, Mick Foley did what you do. Uh, anybody else on the wrestling card doing stand-up or singing or performing outside of the ring? I, I feel like, you know, anyone who does, for the most part, sports entertainers and wrestlers, like they, they can, you know, if they want to branch out. You know, Mickey James is a singer. And I've had, uh, when I do my shows, sometimes, like I said, uh, the night before uh, Raw in Boston, hopefully I can get some of my friends to show up if they're flying in on time and I can have some guys go out there and a couple times people go we, we don't know what to do we don't know how to do this i go go out there and tell one joke and leave always leave them want more or something <laughs> like that and i go just try one joke and see what happens they're gonna love you like this is a great audience to try it on it so i've gotten a couple people to go out there tyler breeze uh ty dillinger zach Ryder, kurt hawkins renee uh young I, I just try and get everybody anybody who wants to step out there and try something sing a song tell one story do 30 seconds of material try it out because it's such a rush and the fans, you know, uh, this is a very, uh, we're very lucky to have these kind of crowds mm. with these shows where they're already happy to see you. You know, I've done shows where Sarah, you know, my roast battle compadre who does these shows with me, where I was opening for her a couple of years ago and I had to have a hat on and I was just Nick. And everyone was like, yeah, I don't know who you are, so make me laugh, idiot. <laughs> and you're like, uh-oh, this is going to be a hard room. Yeah. But, you know, that's how you learn. That's how you grow and get better. I'll say one more thing, and I know you're at an airport, so you have to run, but uh, I've seen you, because my wife is a diehard wrestling fan, up, down, in and out. I've seen you on some of the, quote, reality shows, the Bella Twins and all that, and every time I see you in one of these other non-wrestling shows, I get the same feeling that you're just uh, the life of the party, a fun-loving guy, everybody loves you, and you belie the, uh, the, the villainous occasional Dolph Ziegler, but you do really have a lot of fun. I can tell you, you've got a smile on your face and you must really dig what you're doing because you're doing a lot of it yeah I, I really look forward to it like i have fun and of course the first time i did anything you know was scared to death like i told you doing stand-up for my first wrestling match but i'm so comfortable now i'm so confident that i could riff with anybody zing anybody say something on the fly that a lot of times yeah when they're shooting some things they're like hey do you have anything to say about this and i'll come walk by and i'll just start not doing material, but just wait for somebody to talk and zing them or say something funny, and, and it just goes from there. And it just, it's so fun. The more it, It's just like wrestling. If people see you having fun and you truly are, they're going to have fun also, and that's just what leads them more and more appearances and you know, looking like you know, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> and the nice thing is when you hang up the wrestling trunks, hopefully not anytime soon, lifelong gig here. You'll constantly be honing your craft, and much like Rodney Dangerfield, you'll never stop. So there you go. 
<laughs> I promise. I, I, I'm such a nutcase when I'm at home. All I do is write. I barely sleep, and now I can apply to some things, and it's, I'm going to do the same thing I did with wrestling. I go, I need to get as awesome as this as fast as I can and put that same work ethic to it, and I am every single day, so it's a blast. My thanks to Dolph Ziegler of the WWE, who proved he can hold his own with the best on a comedy stage as well as the ring. Next, let's meet Stephanie Monsieur, the ringmaster for the fabled Big Apple Circus. She's obviously a woman at what used to be a man's game, and she is outstanding. It takes a lot to run a show, particularly one under the big tent with wild animals, a bevy of clowns, acrobats, trapeze artists. And Stephanie told me she's not the first female ringmaster for Big Apple Circus. I'm the fourth. The first was Vanessa Thomas, an African-American woman. There have been three others between Vanessa and myself. And um, I'm proud to carry on a very powerful tradition. And I've also been a ringmaster in my own right for over 25 years. Let's not sell yourself too short, though, ringmaster Stephanie. You also have a lot of circus background, and you do a lot. You have a lot of talents. What are some of the things you've done in the circus besides the ringmaster? Well, I founded a circus company with my partner, Keith Nelson, 25 years ago in New York City, the Bindlestiff Family Circus. And during that time, I've been uh, a fire eater. I have a target bullwhip cracking act. I'm a juggler. I've been a silt walker. I've got. I've been a static trapeze artist, uh, a clown and physical comedian. Um, I've done tour booking, management, and promotion. I sew costumes. I drive the trailers <laughs> around, and I've cooked for up to 25 people at a time. It truly is a family that stays together on the road, and we've heard about circus doing this for centuries now, but the Big Apple has had a great run, and, and it certainly promotes this one-ring, close-to-the-action kind of feel, doesn't it? And it continues to do that. Big Apple Circus is really unique in American circus uh, tradition because um, unlike Ringling Brothers, which was a great historic, uh, you know, show, it doesn't. It, it's intimate. It's up close. When you come into the tent, you're in this manage, you know, magical environment. You're close to the performances. They're literally right overhead. Um, Mark and Adam are our physical comedians who are out and about in the audience. You never know. If you're going to get pulled up on into the ring, or if they're going to, you know, be performing right next to you, it really is a, an incredible experience. And there's something about being seating around the circus ring where you get to be elbow to elbow and really face-to-face -face with the people across the tent sharing this experience. Mm. And when you're in the audience, I've been many times, I love it, when you're in the audience, I mean, you can actually see the sweat on the brow of those, uh, not that they sweat because they're nervous, but they sweat because they're working hard. The sweat on the brow of the trapeze artists and uh, the clowns are right there on your lap uh, doing all these cool things. In this day and age with all the technology and special effects, it's still amazing that kids have their mouths open and adults have their mouths open. That's kind of special. Out of 1,700 guests in the tent at a time, I can count the number of, you know, people playing on their phones um, <laughs> on half of a hand. Lots of people are taking pictures, of course, but the, the level of engagement is really incredible and so fulfilling because, you know, circus was designed to bring people together in, in this, this circle that, you know, is a complete... Um, a complete circle. It just, you know, it, it is a, a real tiny little bubble of community and magic and theater 
all together in the same place. And it's really accessible for everyone. And what, one of the things I love about what Big Apple Circus has done all these years um, is called Circus of the Senses, which is designed to make circus accessible for those with audio and visual impairments. And we also have a show that's specifically uh, tailored for folks on the autism spectrum so that the the stimulus is less intense. You know, we have it's everything is kind of custom crafted to make the experience comfortable and accessible for folks with special needs, as well as their family members and loved ones. So you can really share this with um, mm. with your friends and family. I know that uh, one of the controversies surrounding the big circuses, of course, was the treatment of animals and the presentation of animals. And there are still animals in the circus world. But how has the Big Apple dealt with that over the years? And how are they dealing with it today? Well, I am not an animal trainer. Um, I've been in the circus business for a long time, and I've never personally witnessed anything like what people say happens. Um, I do know that on my daily routine, I'm, I'm up and out the door at about 6 o'clock in the morning every morning, and I always see the two, the two full-time grooms here and our trainer, Jenny Vidbell, hard at work already taking care of the animals. It's a full-time job, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, Jenny's animal partners are beautifully taken care of. They're all rescues. She works with them individually um, to, to determine their level of comfort and, you know, figure out what they want to do. You really should talk to her about the way she operates because it's when you see her in the ring with the animals, you get such a feeling mm. of love and true partnership. Um, I think it speaks for itself. Yeah. And uh, she also has founded a nonprofit pro- foundation in New York called the Al and Joyce Midbell Foundation, which brings terminally ill children together with her rescue animals to form a bond that's very powerful and healing. Yeah, Big Apple has always been involved with the public good and charity, and and, uh, taking care of animals has been a priority. I go back all the way to Paul, the the founder, one of the founders, and uh, and all those great days when the circus was in town. And I remember even then there was an attention to the care and treatment of of the animals. Let's talk again about family. I mentioned it earlier that it is a cliche to say this, but you all kind of live together and move through life together when you're on the road. Tell us uh, what it's really like. I mean, uh, you've got kids that have to go to school. You've got people who have to pay their taxes. I mean, it's more than just putting on the grease paint, isn't it? The circus is a traveling village, honestly. There are, there are about 80 of us who act who are permanently with the show on this tour, moving from place to place. But we also hire 20 to 30 local uh, contra- you know, ushers and concessionaires just for the just for each location. In addition to all the local services that we bring in, like sanitation and garbage removal, and you know, local food supplies. So the circus um, is really pumping money into each each little micro economy as we visit. Um, we're also I also like to feel like we're creating goodwill wherever we go because we're bringing joy with us. Um, and on in the circus um, lot itself, you have families who are here with their, you know, own children. Some some are even multi generational with parents, grandparents, and children um, living and working together. Um, we do pay taxes wherever we go, and and because of that, we are able to send our kids to the local schools 
if, if, if it happens to fall within the um, proper time to enroll and it makes, if it makes sense in the, in the course of the semester, kids who don't do that are homeschooled. Um, and then, of course, there's always lots of circus training going on here as well. But I would say that the, the family bond here is really beautiful mm -hmm. and powerful. That's because great. everybody's working hard for the same goal. Also. Oh, and, and it shows on stage. There's no question. Another thing I like to point out, whatever you do to bring music, live music like that to Boston, I don't know. Do the musicians travel with you or do you pick up locals when you go to town? I'm so glad you brought up music. It's one of my favorite parts of, the, of being in the Big Apple Circus. The live band is incredible. It's eight musicians. Uh, four, let's see. I think four of them are based in New York City, which is the home base of the Big Apple Circus, and and have been with the show for many, many seasons. But we also bring in local musicians wherever we go. And the, the band is really creating the wings that make the show soar, because they are live. They are accompanying. They're not just playing music. They are literally partners in every single moment of the show, because they are the living, breathing embodiment of, you know, each act's intention and mood. Um, they, you know, they're the bridge. They let the audience have a have an entrance into what the acts are, are doing emotionally. They're just really a beautiful part of the show. Right. I'm glad you agree. I, I assumed you would. Be. I'm enthralled by the, by the musical arrangements. They're just so awesome. And here you are, the ringmaster, and everyone has the image of you and your hat and the long tails. There's a lot of guidance and a lot of cover and a lot of help that you're giving the other performers, I assume, but I don't want to assume everything. What is the nature of the ringmaster in the circus role? In this particular edition of the Big Apple Circus, um, my role is well, I think in general, the ringmaster's role is to always be the bridge, another bridge between the audience and the performers. I'm a normal person. I'm very relatable. I am not hanging by my toes 30 feet above the ground. I am not standing on one finger. Um, I am walking and talking and breathing just like everyone else does. And my job is to welcome the audience and to invite them to not just witness, but participate in this experience. And my, my hope is that everyone takes away with them a sense of inspiration because all of us here in the circus are folks who, you know, do what we love and have chosen, you know, to try to be the best at it that we possibly can. And that's something that everyone is capable of. So as the ringmaster, my job is just to remind us all that we are all special, that there's potential for magic and wonder in our daily lives, in our relationships with other people. And um, I take that, you know, very much to heart. So my, my job is to make sure everybody has a great time and leaves with a dream that they can bring home intact. Well, if anyone ever had any doubts that you're the right person for the job, you just firmed up our convictions that you are absolutely in the right place. The final point, here we are in 2019, uh, almost into the 2020s, and there's something so lovely and so sweet about a circus, particularly a one-ring extravaganza that this is, that is real stuff happening, not computer-generated stuff, real stuff with real people and this could have been an audience in 1750 or 1860 or 1920. And that's, to me, really, really awesome. 
Yeah, circus has a tremendous history and a tradition that I believe is very strong and very much alive. You know, that one of the reasons why you might not know about so many female ringmasters is because people in America don't really go to that to circuses that much in general. Um, Ringling for a long time was the biggest player in the in the field. There are many smaller local regional circuses that have gone under, unfortunately, like Carson and Barnes and Kelly Miller. But there are still some very strong ones left. Big Apple Circus is definitely back and better than ever. Um, Universal Circus travels here in the southeast and, and northeast. Um, Circus Varga, Circus Vasquez. And then I can count a dozen other newer shows that are um, that have just newly been rolled out in the last five years that are roaming parts of America in tents. Because the magic of the tent is different from the magic of theater or the magic of live music. The environment, the, the configuration of the ring, the seats, the people seeing each other across the, uh, across the space, is, uh, it's, it's almost primal in, in something that we need. We need that connection with each other. And I think especially in the day of digital disconnection, coming here and experiencing this powerful, um, you know, wondrous human achievement is something that we kind of crave. Happy to be a part of it. We do crave it, and we appreciate, <laughs> believe me, uh, not just the throngs of people that are in every audience, but those of us who have memories of the last time we saw the Big Apple, and the Big Apple's touring all the time, so uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, do try to get to see a show. Uh, Ringmaster Stephanie, it was a delight. Thank you so much. I know you've got uh, shows to do, so we'll let you go. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you at the circus. My thanks to Dolph Ziggler and Stephanie Monsieur, two very energetic, hardworking, and very successful creative people. Conversations with other very interesting people are coming up on this podcast. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.